Hello everyone, welcome to Ubi Est Mia. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is with Aaron Sinek. Aaron Sinek was a Chicagoist contributor for eight years. That abruptly ended on Thursday, November 2nd. For the last eight years, Aaron covered politics, protests, and more for Chicagoist, and uh, all of a sudden he's no longer doing that, nor is anyone else that wrote or worked for Gothamist or DNA Info. So this episode is uh, about what happened in the aftermath of that, recorded on Saturday evening, November 4th. Without further ado, here's Aaron Sinek. This has been a very uncomfortable week for you, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, it absolutely is fair. It was a it was a shock, um, especially given how everything went down. Um, you know, this is something I've done for eight years now. Um, in fact, it was just my eight year anniversary with the site uh, in Oct- early October, and you know, I was I was literally packing up my gear to actually go cover a uh, demonstration that the CTU was doing uh, on the near west side, getting a bunch of messages from people saying, hey, what happened to Chicagoists? What happened to Chicagoists? And I'm like, what do you mean? And um, walked over to my computer, popped open the site, and saw the letter from Ricketts. And I was like, oh, God, what? Um, you know, like the I don't even think the editors knew. And, you know, our, our Slack channel where some of us communicate, um, they had just sent a brief message saying, we don't know what's happening either. And within 10 minutes, that channel got shut down. <laughs> and so it was, it was a very confusing and shocking uh, day or afternoon on Thursday. So that was on Thursday, November 2nd, 2017. You got involved with the site in October of 2009. What made you want to be part of Chicagoist? I had been writing and, you know, freelancing here and there for people every now and again. Uh, and I had been doing zines at the time. And previously to that, um, that was like part zine distro, part just website where we, you know, had content from indie writers, indie journalists. Uh, we had a podcast that we hosted, that kind of stuff. When that folded, you know, I had, I had written some things here and there for other folks, but I really wanted to keep going with things. And so I started just, you know, writing things on my own platform at the time. And one of the Chicago's contributors at the time, back in 2009, I had met, and he had essentially said, hey, you know, I've seen some of your other stuff in other places. You should uh, you should consider, you know, trying out, you know, here's, here's you know, the contact for the editor uh, right now, which was back in 2009, so that was Marcus. And, you know, put us in touch and, you know, I did a couple of stories. They liked it and they were like, okay, yeah, you know, you can, uh, you're, you're part of the crew. Um, and, back, you know, back in 09, you know, there, it was an unpaid thing. But, you know, as time went on and things evolved, they were actually able to start giving contributors like me and some others actual money. So when did that start happening? I want to say probably about four years ago, but my time might be off. So roughly halfway through your time with Chicagoist, it went from not necessarily a hobby, but more just a pure passion to like kind of a part-time gig. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Essentially, I would say it went from something that I did regularly while I also had a full-time gig um, doing something totally different uh, to like a thing that I did regularly that I was getting paid for, which kind of launched or at least helped launch my. Sort of career and just doing freelance work full time because it became a regular thing. 
from the outside, a lot of people don't necessarily know how much journalists make. And I'm not asking you to name numbers here, but I think it's fair to say that you weren't living a lavish lifestyle. Oh, God, no. And I'm still not. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think, too, some, something to be said, because at least over the past three years, in addition to just writing for the site, definitely since 2012, you know, I started actually shooting photos as well. I first, you know, I was able to do that thanks to a very dear and generous friend who at the time happened to have a spare SLR that this person wasn't really using and was collecting dust. And so this person, you know, said, hey, you know, you're out in the street all the time and, you know, I know you'll put this to better use than me. And so they gave it to me on permanent loan. But over the past five years since then, you know, I have invested significantly in like, in also shooting. So camera gear is not cheap. And all of that, you know, that no one's paying for that but me out of pocket. All the gear that I've amassed over the years to kind of do this job has been a personal cost. We're, we're not making a, at least I wasn't making a, any kind of, you know, lavish uh, salary or anything. I think a key phrase that you just said is on the street. A lot of your work dealt with what was going on on the street. Uh, Not super glamorous stuff, not fun stuff, not a lot of the stuff that Chicago West actually started with. You were covering a lot of protests. Like you just mentioned, on Thursday you were about to go head out to one. A lot of your stuff had a political bent. Did your editors ever see or say anything to you that maybe you should tone it down? I never really got told to tone it down. Um, I did get a lot of mentoring from various editors that we've had on the site over the past few years. Um, Chuck Sudo specifically is one of them. Wasn't necessarily, you know, and, and that wasn't from a, you know, you need to tone it down kind of thing. If anything, it was just like, Hey, you know, I get where you're going with this, but we need to be a little more thorough. We need to be, a, you know, you know, we, we need to flesh this out a bit. Right. So I got a lot of that, which I totally was happy about. And like, that was helpful. No one ever said oh, this this thing you did that was critical of, you know, the governor or critical of the mayor or critical of the president or whatever um, is a thing we can't do. In 2012, you started shooting and you continued to do that. You documented a lot of very tense situations. Uh, was there ever a time in the past five years when you've been shooting and writing where you thought, maybe this is a bad idea, I really regret being here right now? No. There, there are times where I've over the years, in many cases, where I've been on the street and have thought, my God, I'm going to get arrested. My God, I'm getting tackled by uh, the police who charged this line. Or, you know, my God, I'm stuck in this crazy situation. But the thought has never occurred to me, I shouldn't have been here. If anything, it's always like, this is why I need to be here. During any of those situations where you felt like, I need to be here, uh, were there a lot of other media outlets covering those stories? 50-50. There have been, you know, one of the, one of the interesting things that I've seen, um, which I, over the years, is that if something is big enough, right, if it gets enough attention beforehand or if there are enough people that are out uh, in the street for something, they'll show up. But a lot of times, you know, what you would see is, People would come, they would get, you know, they would get their shots, they would get their clips, and then they would take off. And especially, like, I think during, um, there, well, there, there were a couple of, there, there are a couple of huge, like, key points or key stories where I can say, you know, there's definitely a lot of press there, but they took off early. Um, that happened, I think, during 
I, I think when I covered Occupy, I mean, I was there every day documenting it, and you would have people that, you know, for the first, like, couple weeks of that, I kept seeing, you know, stories from national perspective that were, that had the same things over and over again, which was, what do these people want? What do these people want? We don't know. Um, and it's the kind of thing that I figured out being there just because I was there all the time. Um, I think during NATO, you had a lot of people that focused on the big march that happened uh, over the weekend, but there were five days, um, five or seven days of it, of things that happened in the lead up and the aftermath to it that less people showed up to. Um, I think during, you know, one of, one of the best examples I can I can kind of give is, um, you know, during, after Laquan McDonald, um, you know, shooting tape dropped, you know, you had tons of press out at the beginning of these marches, but sometimes these people would stay in the street for two, three, four hours. You know, and I get it. Everybody's got to go file. Everybody's got to, you know, people get tired. People are understaffed or whatever. But I would, in, in a lot of cases, I would stick it out. And every now and again, you would have something that would happen like towards the very end and at those points, I was glad that at least I was there because by then a lot of people had already taken off and gone home. I kind of have that ability to say like, okay, well, you know, I'm not broadcast, so I don't have to worry about, you know, this being on a 10 p.m. broadcast, right? Like mm-hmm. I could file this story at 11 p.m. at night mm-hmm. and it'll still go up. It'll still be valid, right? It's, it's, a, it's a matter of, you know, how an or- a news organization operates, which is very different, I think, um, for folks, and I think I think though there there have been times where you know smaller things I think would have gone unnoticed. Um, one of the ones that uh, I remember very very well, a lot of people who've been doing a lot of work in the Logan Square neighborhood here fighting gentrification, and maybe a year or two ago um, could be longer. Um, again, it's 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 kind of hard to to wrap your head around how long some things have been going on. But there was a group of people who shut down Milwaukee and California, where these luxury condos now sit over affordable housing. And I was pretty much one of the only people there. And that's happened in some other cases as well for like smaller things where I was able to get there. Well, maybe it just wasn't on somebody's radar. Maybe, you know, there were other things happening during the day, but it was like, hey, at least I'm here, right? It's actually interesting that you mentioned uh, Logan Square because the... In theory, and most likely reality, the final story on Chicagoist.com is about that, is about gentrification and Logan Square, and it's a story that's going to be at the top of the site until uh, the owner of Gothamist decides to take it down. But you didn't actually write that story, and it's also a story that's probably not in, in the Tribune or the Sun-Times. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that that was one that my colleague Stephen covered. Um you know, but I think, uh, you know, I even, like, I, I ran it, you know, I, I ran into, you know, you know, it's interesting, like, you know, these things evolve, you know, that's all part of the same fight. And, you know, that's all part of the same struggle that that particular community has been working on for years. Um, and it's the same with uh, the Pilsen area. I think both DNA Info and us, you know, tried to get out and, you know, report on that as well. And, it, I mean, it's interesting how a lot of people haven't, really touched on that or done anything that's kind of ongoing, right? Because like, you know, in a lot of cases, I think there, there are a lot of these struggles throughout the city that are ongoing struggles. Some of them date back five years, some of them date back longer, you know, and I, and I think um, it's important to have, to, to show up and document that regularly 
And I think sometimes that gets lost in larger media. Larger, larger outlets have a different focus. They're also doing national things. They're also doing huge happenings at City Hall and, you know, other things like that. And so focusing on these kind of like smaller neighborhood issues on a regular basis is a little more difficult, right? Large, larger outlets have also have huge problems with, you know, staffing and other things. And so they can't really devote the resources or they, you know, for one reason or another, they can't devote resources to doing this kind of like local lasered coverage on sections of the community. That was kind of the mission of both DNA Info and Chicagoist slash Gothamist was, you know, we're getting down to that very, very street level kind of thing. And then my personal, you know, beat was politics. And I did, you know, I also did state stuff and national stuff and city related things, but really documenting um, these movements of people who are fighting for marginalized communities. Like that was, that was my passion. And that was the story that I, that I've been trying to tell for, you know, however many years it's been now, the loss of that, I think, is huge. Because now, where are those stories going to go? I'm glad right. you brought up DNA, um, because DNA was not originally part of Gothamist. So Gothamist began over a decade ago. DNA began about a decade ago. DNA was started by the Ricketts, by Joe Ricketts. Now, it well, now and forever, uh, still owned by the Ricketts. But Gothamist was not... A Ricketts property until earlier this year. So when that happened, I think it was March, is that correct? That is correct. It was March. In March of this year, did you have any worry or did you have any thought that like, hey, maybe this isn't the best idea? Or were you excited to be on the same team as DNA? I I mean, and this this is no slight against the good people at DNA who do a, good, a lot of good work. I was nervous as hell because, you know, essentially this was two competitors I mean, I wouldn't even call us competitors because in a lot of ways, you know, in a lot of ways we did different things but still had the same similar goals, right? But these were like, our, you know, Chicago's two large remaining more local online outlets that were now merging together as one. And I really didn't know what that would mean. I mean, there were times where I wondered if we weren't going to get shut down, you know, a lot sooner, just, you know, just the Chicagoist division or whatever. You know, that didn't happen, and that was great. I'm really glad it didn't. But Ricketts being who he is, being an ultra-conservative billionaire, that is what concerned me the most. I was really concerned about, you know, and these were things that I might have voiced here and there, but, you know, ultimately not, you know, there's only so much you could say, especially especially publicly about, you know, the person who apparently now is your boss. I mean, mean, it was something that I was very, very concerned about, from a content point of view, especially because we had been covering, we had spent a lot of time covering President Trump in the lead up and, you know, in the lead up to the inauguration, the inauguration and things afterwards. And I had wondered, well, okay, you know, what is our, what, what's going to be the direction? Is there going to be a direction that we get told uh, we can no longer focus on and, and that sort of thing? You know, I, re- I really wondered about, our own, how the direction of our own content, um, because we weren't, you know, we weren't high fiving, we weren't high fiving the administration, um, and we weren't even taking a, well, let's wait and see approach. You know, as as things happen, we called them out because that's the point of, at least in my opinion, that's the point of journalism is speaking truth to power and holding powerful people accountable for their actions and. 
you know, I was concerned that maybe we're not going to necessarily be able to do that anymore. Ultimately, there, that really wasn't an issue, but I do wonder, you know, had he purchased us a year prior, if some of our coverage wouldn't have changed. It's, it's an understatement to say that Chicago is blue. 83.7% of Chicago went for Clinton and 125 went for Trump. That's not an exaggeration. Those are the numbers. That's how they break down. So now you have a guy that is supporting the a, the, a candidate that the majority, an overwhelming majority of the city does not and did not like. So you had to have been worried about that. Was anybody else worried about that? If they were, we didn't really talk about it. You know, there, there was a sense of how much can we discuss what's happening, you know, after the purchase amongst ourselves. Um, and ultimately, we just sort of went, okay, we're just going to take this day by day and focus on the work and see what happens. And that's kind of how it went. And so, yeah, I mean, were other people concerned? Possibly. But I can't actually definitively say that they shared the same concerns as me, solely because I can't speak on their behalf. You know, I, there's something to be said for, you know, how these things evolved over the past 20 and 30 years. We saw media consolidation happening in 1996 and before. And I think the explosion of the Internet was, is directly correlated to that, which at first, you know, was a good thing. But a bad thing because nobody could figure out how to survive financially. And I think now what we're seeing, you know, with people like Ricketts or other folks is, you know, there, there's an interest that, you know, the, the wealthy and the powerful have in owning and controlling media, um, you know, not to, uh, not, not to, not to get on you guys too bad, but I mean, the whole issue with Sinclair buying up everything and Sinclair being an obviously right wing leaning organization, I think, you know, there, for, for every person who wants to throw out some idea or some conspiracy theory about a quote unquote liberal media, the, the actual truth of the matter is things are, things have been, you know, leaning much more conservative, much more national, you know, much more nationalistic for the past quite a long time. And I think that has something to do with ownership. And, you know, we need to figure out a model where we're not necessarily, where we're not holding to, you know, an elite club of, of rich folks owning everything because otherwise, I mean, if you, if you look at the difference between the way things were back in the nineties versus how things are now, you know, when it comes to consolidation and the direction that's headed, that's, that's terrifying for the future, you know, where at some point, you know, at what point does everything become, you know, Fox news and Breitbart and who now are leaning on things like Infowars um, for content. And if we're doing that, what does that mean for the future? What does that mean for six months from now? What does it mean for a year from now? So when New York, uh, when the DNA and Gothamist writers in New York decided to unionize, were you excited, indifferent, worried? I was super stoked for them. If somebody would have approached me and said, hey, do you want to be part of this union? I would have said absolutely hell yeah. I think that it's extremely important for workers in any environment to organize themselves and have leverage you know, have, have some kind of collective bargaining leverage with, with their bosses and employers, kind of hoped that eventually they're going to find a way to organize the rest of us to be part of it. Obviously, the next question should be, what next for you? Is there an outlet that you think would suit what you want to do? I don't know. 
I'm still processing this, um, and, and I've been I've been processing it a lot lately too. And you know, the outpouring of support that I think that you know that I know I've gotten, and I know that Rachel and Steven and Tyler and Jim and Anthony and am I forgetting anybody? I hope I'm not. Uh, <laughs> but anybody else who uh, who is currently writing for the site um, have gotten has been very positive. It's been very nice, and I think the 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 important thing that's happening right now is that there is a discussion happening and I hope it leads to something and it isn't just like another discussion we have and then nothing happens, but there is a discussion of saying like, okay, how do we fund journalism? How do we fund media, especially media that is going to focus on, you know, smaller neighborhood issues or critical of any and every, you know, political establishment um, I, I think we're we're having those discussions now, which is great. I really hope there is a way to build that into something. I mean, I think this speaks to a much larger problem we have in journalism in general, which is that in so many cases, people are relying on, literally relying on rich people to come swoop in, or rich people are deciding to come swoop in and quote-unquote save a publication or pick up a publication and then at the end of the day, it doesn't work um, because the model, the model that people have used for, you know, ages is no longer viable. So there needs to be another solution. And it's not going to be somebody who's powerful stepping in and saying, oh, yeah, well, I'll make sure this happens because that's that is inherently problematic. You know, and I think, um, you know, Daryl Holiday from uh, City Bureau um, wrote a really, really good piece over the weekend uh, called why why billionaires aren't going to save journalism and i think that's totally true if anything you know i don't know if there's a cooperative model that can work i don't know you know certainly it is is heartening to see some of the fallout especially for the folks that we have friends that we have in la emboldened the organizing efforts that people are doing at the la times and some other outlets out there and then it's also kind of it's, it's given people a rallying cry to other people to say hey you should actually subscribe to this publication. You should actually donate money to this publication. You should, we, we understand you've been, you're used to getting this for free on the internet. Um, but, you know, it's time to like actually pony up and, and put a little bit of money behind it. You know, we're all working. Um, we're all trying to work. And, you know, and, and so that's, that's been heartening to see, but that's also not going to, that's not a permanent solution that's going to save everything. Um, I don't know what that is. I know what it's not. And what it's not is billionaires. That's not going to save journalism. It's not going to save any industry. What it is, I don't know, but I hope that we can figure it out. I've been talking back and forth with a friend and fellow freelancer of mine, Zach Roberts. Um, he's on the East Coast. And we've tried to, we have like the beginnings of our own site um, called News. Still in like very, very beta, very, very, there's, there's not a lot there yet. But now that I've got more time, I'm going to try to throw some more efforts behind that. I'll, I'll, I'll try to put on my optimist hat and, you know, say, you know, hopefully this is something that, you know, I mean, there, there have been offers from other people who have seen what's happened across the country, which is heartening. Um, there, have been, there have been people who have said, hey, I see what happened. Let me know how I can help. So I'm hoping that we can somehow in the very next couple of days, uh, even come together, catalog all those people, reach out to those people, you know, as a group or whoever wants to get 
together as a group and say, okay, guys, you said you want to help. Let's hash out how we can do this. That's sort of the next immediate step, you know, that and trying to find other homes that I, you know, or other avenues and things that I haven't thought of yet to to put something together. So we'll see. If you would like more information on Aaron Sinek, go to AaronSinek.net, A-A-R-O-N-C-Y-N-I-C. Dot net. Uh, from there, you can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, all forms of social media. If you would like to see his work for now, uh, go to chicagoist.com and then just type in Aaron Sinek in the search bar. There are over 1,200 pieces for you to digest. If you would like more information on me or this show, follow me on Twitter. It's at sign YMTE. I host another show called You, Me, Them, Everybody. We'll be in Chicago at The Hungry Brain on Wednesday, November 15th, recording an episode. Our art is by Dmitry Samaroff, and our music is by Daniel Knox. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful night. I'll hunt the places that you've been sleeping, friend.